Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. If you got your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 42. Genesis 42. We're going to try to make it all the way through chapter 45. So put on your seatbelts because we're going to be doing a little bit of reading this morning. Uh, and uh, hopefully you won't fall asleep. I'll, maybe I'll dance around and get real active so you guys can keep your eyes focused on a moving target. No. Hey, so as we get to chapter 42, 25 years, roughly 25 years have passed since Joseph left Hebron. As a, He was about 17 years old. Um, he left his dad, sent him on, a, on, a, on an errand, basically, to go find your brothers. You know, I heard they're up in Shechem tending the flocks. Uh, you know, I want to find out how they're doing. And so he sent Joseph that morning to go up to Shechem to find out how his brothers were. And Joseph never returned. Can you imagine that as a parent sending your child out to run to the store to do so? And I know that happens with people. You know, children get abducted all the time in this nation. Uh, and, you know, can you imagine that? You send your child away. And they never return home. And as far as Jacob knew, for all that Jacob knew, Joseph had been killed by wild animals 25 years earlier, quarter of a century. But what we know, because we have the end of the story, God was at work, and he was at work to bring about a great deliverance uh, to the family of, Joseph, of Jacob through Joseph. Um, at this point, Jacob, he has no idea that God has been orchestrating these events to bring about his deliverance, their deliverance. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, God has elevated Joseph to the second highest ruler of all Egypt. We saw that last week. He was in charge of collecting grain during seven years of plenty. Those seven years of plenty have ended, and now those seven years that was prophesied of famine have begun. Two years have already, uh, have already uh, uh, passed of this, of this famine, and, and Joseph is in charge of administrating the sale of grain during those seven years of famine. And that is where we're at right now in chapter 42. Egypt is now in its second year of famine. And all the nations around Egypt, it's not just Egypt that's experiencing famine, but now all the, eight, the nations around them are experiencing the same effects of this famine, uh, this drought and this famine. And, and Canaan, where J, uh, Jacob and his sons live, they have not escaped it. It's a, it's a widespread famine. And, uh, you know, Jacob, he's a patriarch, right? He's, the, he's, the, he's got 12 sons. Well, 10 of them or 11 of them are alive as far as he knows. Um, so he's got all these mouths to feed. He's responsible. He's the patriarch. Not only family, but he's also got, he's a very wealthy man with lots of livestock. So he's got all this livestock that he's responsible for. And so the burden and the pressure on Jacob with this famine. Now on the surface... This famine seems to be just what it is. It's an affliction to endure. I mean, how many of people look forward to famine? I wonder what God's going to do. You know, we go through famines in our lives, maybe not a physical famine, but we go through times of, of affliction, times of trial. And we talked a lot about that last week. And, and, and sometimes it's just like, man, I just got to endure it. But you see, this famine is what God is going to use to draw the brothers to Egypt to come to Joseph face to face. God is orchestrating that through this famine. And so we get to chapter 42, verse 1. And it says, When Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt, 
Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. But Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some calamity befall him. And so Jacob here sends his 10 oldest sons down to Egypt to buy grain, but he's not going to send Benjamin. And as a father and as a grandfather, you know, I can imagine, I praise the Lord, I haven't had to go through this, but probably a day has not gone by without Jacob thinking of his son, Joseph. I'm sure, you know, you never get over a loss like that. But again, 25 years have passed. He's that much older now. And Benjamin, who was probably about one years old, roughly, when Joseph was, uh, you know, never returned home, he's probably in his mid to late 20s at this point. And he's Rachel's only other son. Joseph was one son. Benjamin was the other. Rachel was the woman that Jacob loved. And so Benjamin has probably, you know, Jacob loves all his sons. I don't doubt that at all. But Benjamin is special in the sense that he's filled that vacant hole in Jacob's heart that Joseph left. And Jacob can't afford to lose Benjamin. He's already lost his one beloved son. It just would be too much grief for Jacob, for his heart to bear. So we get to verse 5 and it says, And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now Joseph was governor over the land, and it was he who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke roughly to them. Then he said to them, where do you come from? And they said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. You know, here's these 10 brothers coming in, right? They all look, you know, they're Hebrew. They look Hebrew. They're, you know, and, and I'm sure they've aged because everybody's 25 years. You can put a lot of age on a person. But they're all in the same context. They, they, they probably are wearing the same kind of clothing. They, they obviously are from out of town. They're not Egyptian. And so Joseph recognizes them, but they don't recognize Joseph. Last time they saw him, he was just a 17-year-old boy. But now he's 40 years old. He's a grown man. He's dressed like an Egyptian. He's probably wearing white linen. He's probably got ornaments of gold to indicate his high rank. And he looked like Egyptian. In fact, he probably even walked like an Egyptian. I'm just guessing, you know. All right. So, you know, he would have been out of context. You know, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have, I mean, it would, it, you can understand that. He, he would have been, you know, just who, who would have thought, you know. Um, they probably didn't even make eye contact with him. In fact, it says that they bowed down to the ground. So they probably didn't even look up at him. And he's not speaking to them in Hebrew, by the way. He's speaking through a translator. Well, verse 9, it says, Then Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them. And said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, no, my Lord, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Your servants are not spies. 
Now, you kind of wonder, why is Joseph being so harsh to them? Is, is he angry at them? Does he want to really get them? See, Joseph is probably treating them just as he, they treated him when he was sent by his father to go up to, well, he went to Shechem, and then they weren't there. He went to Dothan, right? Remember, as a young teen, we read about it earlier, that uh, he used to inform on them to his father, Jacob. Ah, these guys are they're not doing right. And he would be like, kind of like a, we call it a tattletale, right? Uh, and, and so, uh, but we know from his heart that he cared more about his father's welfare. It wasn't like he just wanted to get his brothers in trouble. He really cared about his father's welfare and his flocks and everything. And he saw that they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. So he would tell his father what was going on. And so when he came to Dothan, they saw him coming. They said, there he is wearing that many colored robe. You know, there's that brother of ours. And they probably accused him. Are you coming here to spy on us? You want to report back to daddy again? You know, that's probably what they were doing. And so Joseph here is probably doing the exact same thing. Why is he doing that? You see, I think the Lord, is, through Joseph, is trying to, to prick their consciences. Because 25 years, you know, you can kind of... You can kind of try to suppress things that you've done in your past. I would imagine Jose, probably 15 years, you know. Yeah, I, I was that person, but I'm not that person anymore and, and suppressed it. But now it's come. It's reared its ugly head again. Well, verse 12, it says, But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, Your servants are 12 brothers the sons of one man in the land of Canaan, and in fact the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. But Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother, and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh surely you are spies. So he put them all together in prison three days. Now again, I don't think he's doing this in retribution. I want you guys to feel what I had to go through. He wants to find out if they're repentant. And also, he wants to find out if they feel the same way about Benjamin as they had felt about him. Remember, they, they really they, they, they hated him. They resented him because he was a favored son. And now, if, if Benjamin's the favored son or the only other son of, of Rachel, they're all sons of the concubines and Leah, he wants to find out you know, are they telling the truth, first of all, about Benjamin, and do they care about him? Verse 18, then Joseph said to them the third day, do this and live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me so your words will be verified and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, we are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish, anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Now what's kind of interesting here, here's this Egyptian, and he's saying, Do this and live. He's, he's bringing them out of the prison. Do this and live, for I fear God. And he's releasing all but one of them. And he's sending the others back with grain. Do this, because I fear God. 
They hadn't feared God when they threw Joseph into prison. They hated him. They didn't fear God. They weren't even thinking about God. And so for this this Egyptian who's a pagan as far as they know, saying, I fear God, and treating them better than they deserve, it probably was, you know, pricking them. Again, 25 years of suppressing their guilt. Maybe you've done something 25 years ago that you're ashamed of and you know you you you, you would you, you would hate it if any one of us found out what you did 25 years ago. And so maybe even there's guilt or something, something you did terrible and you you're concealing it and you've concealed it well 25 years. Nobody knows about it. Your your family doesn't know about it. You know these brothers, they probably didn't talk about it. It probably wasn't a a common everyday thing. Everybody's like, "Okay, let's just forget about it." I don't even think about it. Let's go on, move on with our lives, trying to forget it. But Joseph's harsh treatment of them brings their sin to the surface, listen, as if it was yesterday. As if it was yesterday. Look at the way Reuben says. Reuben says, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy, and you would not listen? Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. It's as fresh as if it had occurred yesterday because that's what guilt does. If you don't deal with guilt, you can try to hide it. You can try to suppress it. You can try to not talk about it and forget about it, but it's there if it's never been forgiven. It's there. And it just takes something to come to the surface. And you see, God's using this to bring it to the surface. Verse 23, But they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept. Then he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. It says that Joseph turned away and wept. So in other words, the brothers didn't see him weeping. But once he composed himself, he returned back and then he spoke harshly to them just as he had before them. And they're seeing him speaking harshly to them. They only saw and interpreted uh, only they only saw what they interpreted to be harshness towards them. What they didn't see was Joseph weeping. They only saw the harshness, but they didn't see the weeping. They didn't see how broken Joseph's heart was and how he really truly loved his brothers. You know, when the Lord brings about a famine or affliction of some sort in our lives, sometimes we're tempted to think that God is out to get us. And that's all we see is his harshness. Lord, why are you doing this to me? But we don't realize that he's weeping over our sins. He's weeping because he loves us so much. You know, Ephesians 4.20, Paul doesn't say, hey, don't tick off the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 4.20 says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Because the Spirit grieves over us. What's well, interesting that Simeon is the one who gets, you know, he gets, he's the one that gets handcuffed, or not handcuffed him, <laughs> he gets thrown in prison. Um, you think about that. Why Simeon? Why him of all people? Remember, Simeon and, and Levi were the two who, uh, who killed all the men of Shechem, right? They were, they were seeking revenge because of uh, their daughter, uh, their sister, Dinah, who had been raped. And later on in chapter 49, um, Jacob, he's prophesying over his sons and speaking of Simeon and Levi, he says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. And Simeon is probably was one of the ringleaders of the brothers who stripped Joseph's robes and uh, threw him into the pit. 
Verse 25, then Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain, to restore every man's money to his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and departed from there. But as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feet at the encampment, he saw his money, and there it was in the mouth of his sack. So he said to his brothers, my money has been restored, and there it is in my sack. Then their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to another, What is this that God has done to us? You see, their guilty conscience is being pricked right now. Verse 29, Then they went to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan and told him all that had happened to them, saying, The man who is lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We are honest men. We are not spies. We are twelve brothers. Sons of our father, one is no more, and the youngest is with our father this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me. Take food for the famine of your households and be gone. And bring your youngest brother to me, so I shall know that you are not spies, but that you are honest men. I will grant to your, bro- your brother to you, and you may trade in the land. Then it happened as they emptied their sacks that surprisingly each man's bundle of money was in his sack. And they and their father saw the bundles of money. They were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin. All these things are against me. You think about Jacob. You know, he had experienced a lot of pain in his life. Remember, his beloved wife, Rachel, had died. Leah had died by this point. His daughter, Dinah, had been raped. His sons, Levi and Simeon, out of fierce anger, they they had killed all the men of Shechem. They had to leave because of that. Later on, Reuben, the oldest, committed sexual immorality with Jacob's concubine Bilhah. And now, you know, in the course of the supposed death of his favorite son, Joseph, and now Simeon is in prison. And all Jacob can say is, man, all these things are against me. You know, if only Jacob could see two chapters later. If only, you know, right now, it's like everything's coming against him. If only he could see two chapters later, he'd understand that God loves him and that he has a wonderful plan for his life. Sometimes we're that same way, aren't we? We think all these things are against me, and if only we could see two chapters further in our lives how God is using these things, even the famines, even, even the afflictions that we go through for his purposes. Verse 37, Then Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I do not bring him back to you, and put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave." That's an interesting response from Reuben, isn't it? He's the oldest. He probably feels responsible for not stopping his brothers. Remember he was saying that? And as far as he knows, he's responsible for Joseph's death. But what a comment to say to his dad. Hey, if I don't bring Benjamin back, kill my two sons. Can you imagine that? Yeah, kill, my, kill your grandsons? I mean, it's just like, what's he thinking? And so Jacob's like, (laughs) Benjamin's not going down to Egypt. (laughs) 
fellowship hall. <laughs> Chapter 43. Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to, to them, saying, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. In other words, hey, we're not going to go without Benjamin. Verse 6, And Israel said, Why do you deal so wrongly with me as to tell the man whether you still had another brother? But they said, The man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we told him, according to these words, Could we possibly have known that he would say, Bring your brother down? Now, you know what's interesting in these chapters? When Jacob is mentioned in chapter 42, he's called Jacob. Um, as we move into chapter 43 and on, he starts to be called more and more by his new name, Israel. It's an interesting thing. It's kind of a subtle change. Remember, Jacob means heel catcher or supplanter, right? Um, and, and after time, of, after he wrestled and, and, uh, with the Lord and, or with the angel of the Lord and he surrendered to God, God said, your name is now Israel, which means ruled by God. But we see throughout this story, many times uh, he's called Jacob. And when he's called Jacob, it's when we see his old nature on display. When, we, when he's called Israel, we see his new nature on display. Listen, I've got a new name. The Bible says I'm a new, na- a new creation in Christ Jesus. There's stuff, I don't know, 25 years ago, but there's probably stuff 30 years ago. I'd, my, my, I'd be ashamed to share with you guys because of my life, the way I lived. But I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I have a new name. My new name is Christian. But sometimes my old nature rears its ugly head, and then you see the good old Don. Not good old, but the bad Don. The the Don, the old nature. In chapters 42, verses 1 and 4, Jacob sends his sons down to Egypt to buy grain, but he doesn't send Benjamin for fear something may happen to him. He's walking in fear, so he's Jacob. In verse 36 of chapter 42, Jacob says, All these things are against me. And as we get into chapter 43, we'll see a transition. So verse 8, Then Judah said to Israel, his father, Send the lad with me, and we will arise and go, that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I myself will be surety for him. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered, surely by now we would have returned this second time. And their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise, go back to the man. And may God Almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your brother and Benjamin. If I am bereaved, I am bereaved. You see, he's called Israel now. Why is he called Israel now? Because Israel consents to let Benjamin go down with his brothers to Egypt. And what's his response? Hey, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. In other words, he's surrendering. 
He's surrendering here. Now you remember, I mentioned earlier, he wrestled with an angel and he surrendered at that point. And the angel said, hey, you are no longer Jacob. You're now Israel, ruled by God. But there's going back and forth, right? He surrendered once, but you see, surrendering to the Lord is not a one-time event in our lives. Sometimes we have this attitude, well, I surrender to the Lord that time. You know, surrendering to the Lord, it's a daily choice that you and I make. It's being surrendered. Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Every day we have an opportunity to surrender to the Lord. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. So how do we die daily? Romans 12, 1, Paul says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, each and every morning, Each and every day, you and I have an opportunity, a living sacrifice. You know, a dead sacrifice, you just grab it and lay it on the altar and you burn it up or whatever you do with it. A living sacrifice, man, for you and I, we're not tied up. We have the freedom. We have the opportunity, the choice to be a sacrifice, to offer ourselves as a sacrifice to the Lord that day. You have an opportunity and a choice in each day, and in fact, in each circumstance, to lay down your life, to allow yourself to become less, to allow Jesus to be more in you, to die to yourselves. Romans 12, 2, Paul writes, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Every morning, every every time you get into a situation, you, you can think of it two ways. You can think of it according to your old nature. You know, the anger, the resentment, the selfishness, the, the how, however you want to think about it. It's like, oh, you know, it's me first. I'm caring about me. Or you can be transformed by the Holy Spirit, by the renewing of your mind. So that's how you and I become, that's how we lay down our lives daily for the Lord. We die to ourselves. But the funny thing is, even though it's Israel who sends his sons with Benjamin uh, down to Egypt, We still see a little bit of Jacob here, even though the Bible doesn't call him Jacob here. Because look what he says. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man. A little balm, a little honey, spices and myrrh. I always want to say pistachio, but pistachio nuts and almonds. Remember he did that a while back when he was Jacob? When he was meeting Esau, he's like, he kept sending gifts ahead of himself because what did he want to do? He wanted to appease Esau. And so here he's saying, well, you know, let's, let's, give him, let's give him some gifts from Israel. You know, some pistachio nuts and almonds. We'll give this to, the, to that ruler in Egypt. And he's trying to appease him through his gifts. But we know Joseph's heart, right? Joseph just wanted to test the hearts of his brothers to see if their hearts had been changed. He only cared about their hearts. What are some pistachio nuts and almonds to the second highest ruler of Egypt? Think about it. What, what is it to him? Oh, thanks. You gave me a bag of peanuts. Okay, I'll let your brother go. You know what I mean? It's like, come on. God only wants your and my heart, first and foremost. 
Now, we give tithes and we give offerings. It's an act of worship, but I can guarantee it's not to manipulate God's favor. You're not, you're not getting brownie points with God when you give to him. You know, but sometimes we have that attitude. And it's not just financial, but just doing things for the Lord. I'm going to do this for you, Lord, so that, so that you'll love me. God loves you already. He loves you as you are. And he wants your heart more than anything else. He wants your heart first and foremost. And so Jacob, you see a little bit of Jacob in here trying to manipulate the king of Egypt. And sometimes we do that, right? We try to manipulate God. Verse 15, So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double money in their hand and arose and went down uh, to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready, for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house, and so they said, It is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that, we may, that, so that he may make a case against us and seize us to take us as slaves with our donkeys. When they drew near to the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house and said, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks, and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks, but he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. It's like, hey, don't worry about it. I got your money. Verse 24. So the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet and gave their donkeys feed. Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. And he asked him about their well-being and said, Is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? Notice he doesn't wait for an answer. And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for his brother. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And he went into his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out and restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. So they set him in a place by himself, and they and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with them by themselves, because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, one another. Then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. So they drank and were merry with them. Can you imagine the picture? Here's this stranger, this strange ruler, and he sets them, he's got placeholders for them according to their birth order. How does this ruler know who's the oldest and who's the youngest? It's got to be freaking these guys out. And then they look, and, they, and all of them have, you know, one pork chop. Well, they wouldn't have ate pork, I suppose. I guess it would be a, a, a lamb shank. They each get a lamb shank, you know, or whatever. And, uh, but, but Benjamin's plate is just piled full. And they're like, what's with that? 
chapter 44, and he commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as much as they can carry, and put, put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his, <clears throat> excuse me, and his grain money. So he did according to the word that Joseph had spoken. <clears throat> as soon as the morning dawned, the men were sent away, they and their donkeys. When they had gone out of the city and were not yet far off, Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is not this the one from which my Lord drinks and from which he indeed practices divination? You have done evil in so doing. So he overtook them, and he spoke to them these words. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do such a thing. Look, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then could we steal silver or gold from your Lord's house? With whomever your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground and opened, and each opened his sack. So he searched. He began with the oldest and left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each man loaded his donkey and returned to the city. Verse 14. So Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this you have done? Did you not know that such a man as I can certainly practice divination? Then Judah said, What shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves, both we and he also with whom the cup was found. Judah so aptly describes their situation. Like, what can we say? What can we say? How can we clear ourselves? And he says this, God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are. And I think what they're talking about, what Judah's talking about, is what happened with Joseph. He's not saying that to the king of, of, of to Pharaoh, or to Joseph there, but they're acknowledging their sin. God, you found me out. It's finally come to the surface. Luke 12, 2, Jesus writes, or says, For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. You see, this is actually a story of reconciliation. A reconciliation between Joseph's brothers and Joseph. But before reconciliation can take place, there needs to be a confession of guilt. It's the same with us. You want to be reconciled to the Lord, you have to confess your sins. Proverbs 17.15 says, He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the just, both of them alike are an abomination to the Lord. We have to come to that point where we, don't, we, no, we can no longer justify ourselves. We no longer can give excuses for why we're doing what we're doing. We finally say, what can we say? I'm a sinner. I, I stand condemned before you, Lord. This is what Judah is doing before Joseph. Paul wrote, uh, actually in Acts 2.36, Peter 
is, is preaching to all the men of Israel at the time of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples and, and everybody's rushed together because there's this rushing wind, this noise, and they're wondering what's going on. They're all speaking in, in tongues of the languages of the people around them. And, and they're like, what is this? And, and, and Peter goes from being this timid uh, disciple that was hiding and, and denying Christ. Now he's filled with the Spirit. And now he goes forth and he preaches this message. And at the end of this message, in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And it says in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Just like Judah, what what can we do? And then Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Judah here says, Here we are, my Lord slays, both we and he also with whom this cup is found. But you know, the funny thing is, Joseph's not quite done testing the hearts of his brothers. And so verse 17 says, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. Hey, I'm not going to keep all you guys. We're just going to keep the guy that stole the cup. The rest of you guys, you're clear. You can leave. You can be free. Verse 18. Then Judah came near to him and said, Oh, my Lord, please let your servant speak a word in my Lord's hearing. And do not let your anger burn against your servant, for you are even like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, saying, Have you a father or a brother? And we said to my Lord, We have a father, an old man, a child, and a child of his old age, who is young. His brother is dead, and he alone is left of his mother's children, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him down to me, that I may set my eyes on him. And we said to my Lord, The lad cannot leave his father, for if he should leave his father, his father would die. But you said to your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you shall not see my face no more. So it was when we went up to your servant, uh, so, as, so it was when we went up to your servant, my father, that we told him the words of my Lord. And our father said, go back and buy us a little food. But we said, we cannot go down. If our youngest brother is with us, then we'll go down. For we may not see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. And the one went out from me, and I said, Surely he is torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. But you take this one also from me, and calamity befalls him. You shall bring down my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Now, therefore, when I come up to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen when he sees that the lad is not with us, that he will die. So your servants will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. For your servant became surety for the lad to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame before my father forever. If you recall... Judah is the one who had suggested that they sell Joseph into sla- as a slave when he was in the pit there in Dothan. Not only are the brothers acknowledging their guilt and what they had done to Joseph, but they don't hate Benjamin. And Judah here, what a beautiful picture. He would rather take Benjamin's place 
than see the grief in Jacob's face if they returned without Benjamin. Take me instead. Chapter 45, verse 1, Then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who, stopped, who stood by him. And he cried out, Make everyone go out from me. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud. And the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard it. I mean, it was so loud. It was going through that palace and into Pharaoh's palace. Joseph uh, made, it says here, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And we don't really know what that means, but probably this probably the only way Joseph could convince his brothers that he was Joseph was have all those Egyptian servants leave the room and he probably revealed his circumcision to them. Hey, I'm, I'm a Hebrew. I'm your brother. Because they wouldn't have believed it otherwise. You know, the only way Thomas would believe that Jesus rose from the dead was when he saw the nail prints in Christ's wrists and put his hand in the scar on Jesus' side. And Joseph here being a type of Christ in the Old Testament. It's, it's a picture of what's going to happen when Jesus Christ is revealed to his brothers, the Jewish people during the Great Tribulation. It's said in Zechariah 12, verse 10, I will pour out on the house of David, on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, They will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And so as Joseph's revealing himself to his brothers and they recognize it is is him, it is Joseph. It's a picture of what Jesus will do to the nation of Israel when they'll also recognize him who they pierced. Verse 3, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. Why were they? That word dismayed means to be disturbed, to be alarmed, to be terrified. It wasn't so much that they couldn't, they couldn't fathom that Joseph was their brother, that he was actually their brother, although that, I'm sure that was part of it. But they all of a sudden realized, man, we betrayed you. We sold you as a slave into slavery. And now he's the second highest ruler in Egypt. He's got the power to have each all of us executed right here on the spot. And so they're probably just shaking in their boots. They'll probably have to change their tunics later. Verse 4. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near and he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into, into Egypt. But now do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth, and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt." See, Joseph's not saying, you know, it's not saying, hey, you guys, you're, you're innocent, you know, it was no big deal. He was wronged by them. But you see, as we talked about last week, that trial has transformed Joseph. It's refined Joseph, and he sees God's providence even in this affliction that he's going through. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. 
Everything becomes beautiful. God, God takes even those, those things, those tragedies in our lives, and he makes everything beautiful in its time. And he's the one that knows the beginning from the end. You know, we, we don't know what the next couple chapters in our lives are going to be, but God does. And God has a plan and he has a purpose for each one of us. And it's not for harm. It's for our good because he loves us. Romans 11.33, Paul says, Oh, the depth and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him then it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Even the, even, the, even the things that people do to us that's sinful, even the, the harm, the affliction and stuff, it, it doesn't pass, God, it doesn't pass, it's not allowed without Christ passing it and saying, okay, it can happen. I'm going to allow it to happen. I'll be with them. My grace will be with them. But he, he, it, things, it's like none of the stuff catches God by surprise. We're always caught by surprise when tragedy or disease or things happen. We're, we're not prepared for it. But God, in his grace and in his sovereignty, he allows those things. But there's a purpose behind it. And we may not see it right now. For of him and through him and to him are all things. See, Joseph realized God was in control of his life. Joseph wasn't controlled by circumstances, either good circumstances or bad circumstances. And now as he's, he's second in, in highest of Pharaoh, it's not, it hasn't gone to his head now. He's like, yeah, okay, I'm going to kill you guys because you mistreated me. It hasn't gone to his head. He realizes God even took that bad circumstance and used it for his good. And, God, and Joseph was not controlled by people either, whether good or bad. They didn't have that impact on him. Yeah, they sinned against him. They, 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 they were in the wrong. But it didn't, Joseph's like, God's worked through it. Verse 9, hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near to me, you and your children and your children's children, your flocks and your herds and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my father Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them, and after that his brothers talked with him. Can you imagine that conversation? Can't imagine it. Verse 16, now the report of it was heard in Pharaoh's house, saying, Joseph's brothers have come. So it pleased Pharaoh and his servants well. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, say to your brothers, do this, load your animals and depart, go to the land of Canaan, bring your father and your households and come to me. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you will eat of the fat of the land. Now you are commanded, do this, take carts out of the land of Egypt for your little ones and your wives and bring your father and come. Also, do not be concerned about your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. 
Then the sons of Israel did so, and Joseph gave them carts according to the command of Pharaoh, and he gave them provisions for the journey. He gave to all of them, to each man, changes of garments, but to Benjamin he gave 300 pieces of silver and five changes of garments. And he sent to his father these things, ten donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt, and ten female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and food for his father for the journey. So he sent his brothers away, and they departed, and he said to them, See that you do not become troubled along the way. Then they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father. Why is he called Jacob here? Verse 26. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart stood still because he did not believe them. Unbelief, disbelief. Verse 27, but when they told him all the words which Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the carts which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob, their father, revived. Then Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Notice the transition there. Jacob couldn't believe it, but Israel finally, by faith, it's enough, I believe it. Why don't you have the worship guys come on up? Whoever's, on the, whoever's coming up for worship. You know, we go through periods in our lives where maybe we're Jacob, right? And then other times we're Israel. We're ruled by God. We're walking, but sometimes we slip back. I, I just thank the Lord that he is a patient and a loving God, and he, and he, and he, and he, and he puts up with us so much, you know? And, and what a beautiful picture of reconciliation that we see in these chapters. And of course, we're going to be looking more of that next week and Jacob finally going and, and seeing his son face to face. And a uh, beautiful picture. Joseph, again, is a picture of Jesus Christ. And uh, again, for, to be reconciled with the Lord, man, we have to confess our sins. We have to stand before him with no more excuses and say, I, here I stand before you. I'm guilty. And then he doesn't condemn us. But he forgives us because he shed his blood for us on the cross. He paid the price. He took the punishment that, that, that we couldn't pay, but that we deserve to pay. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for your word this morning. I thank you for this beautiful picture of you in the life of Joseph. And Lord, we can all identify it with Jacob at times where, Lord, we're walking in our flesh where we haven't surrendered and we're, we're once more Jacob, we're once more manipulating or, or just walking according to our old nature. And Lord, there are times when we do surrender, when we just walk according to your spirit, and then, and then we're Israel, we're ruled by you. Lord God, I pray that each one of us would become more and more Israel. Lord, that we would become more and more day by day, moment by moment, ruled by you and by your Holy Spirit within us. So I thank you for this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.